back here on the EPL show on FNR Football Nation Radio. Josh Parrish and Oscar Rutherford with you until 9 p.m. Boreham Wood, the cup set of the weekend. There were plenty of nearly cup sets in the form of Plymouth Argyle and, uh, of course, Kidderminster Harriers uh, who came so close and were greeted with a naked Declan Rice for their troubles. Yes. Um, but Boreham Wood actually got the job done against high championship opposition in AFC Bournemouth. And uh, Adam Hurry, Football Clichés, one of my favourite accounts, pointing out that Bournemouth has become the first team ever to play Bournemouth with an entire starting 11 of players who have extremely Bournemouthy names. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Tay Ashby-Hammond, you know, the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. He could play for Bournemouth. Yeah, I, I hear. Will Evans. Oh, totally. David Stevens. Mm. Connor Stevens. <laughs> Connor Stevens would play left back for Bournemouth, <laughs> surely. Kane Smith. Oh, uh, yeah, yep. Uh, he's born with three and three. Mark Ricketts. I'm seeing it, yep. yeah. Frankie Raymond. That's borderline. That's the least Bournemouth the, name I've heard. Jacob Mendy, Josh Rees, Tyrone Marsh, and the most Bournemouthy of all, Scott Bowden. Yeah, absolutely. Absol- no, I think that's an excellent observation. I don't know what makes a Bournemouthy name. Something maybe English and like ever so slightly posh. Yeah, I think that's right. You've you got to get that balance right, yeah. Tay Ashby Hammond has got mm. to be the, the clincher on that No, I, I'm shocked that wasn't a Bournemouth 11 to spread out for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, great. They've beaten them at their own game. They have. And it was, you know, ex- excellent to see, isn't it? That's what the FA Cup's all about. I think Boreham would have drawn Everton in the next round of the Cup. Um, awesome experience for them. Awesome to see, I think, a fifth tier team getting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the first time ever that they've reached the fifth round. So, you know, all those cliches about the magic of the Cup and, and what have you. Yeah, so. Cool story. Absolutely. 1-0 win. And uh, for Bournemouth, I mean, pretty disappointing result. They have brought in a lot of talent on deadline day. Uh, Todd Cantwell, chief among them, but five deadline day signings. And I was reading they actually almost can't afford to miss out on Premier League promotion because they've hemorrhaged £60 million since they were relegated. So for a team who had couple of successive promotions back in the day and I, I mean it seems as if their their financial structure and their wage bill is is ballooned since mm. then well the story of like every english football club isn't it yeah um i i think with that yeah with that with that context in mind i think bournemouth will kind of be okay to have lost like the fa cup wouldn't have been their primary goal i mean they're yeah. currently third in the championship mm-hmm. absolutely in with a shout of Beating out, you know, and two Burnham, two games in know. hand on the yep. teams above them as well. Yep, so they're they're well and truly in the race. Um, I think they started the season superbly, like they were well and truly out in front at the beginning. But um, yeah, Scott Parker, I think, is the manager there now, and he seems to be doing a reasonable enough job. And yeah, I think the main focus will absolutely still be on finishing in that top two. Well, Premier League, speaking of their intended destination, uh, there was some Premier League action this morning. Newcastle 3, Everton 1. This one, a very, very important result for Eddie Howe's Newcastle down near the bottom of the table if uh, the expectations of their new owners are to be fulfilled. Uh, Kieran Trippier with a key contribution, uh, an assist from a fantastic corner and a direct free kick goal, exactly what they signed him for in January. Uh, but Frank Lampard's tenure at Everton not going off to the healthiest of starts. No, I mean, I did watch this game and full credit to Newcastle because I thought they played really well. It was just about the best I've seen them play under Eddie Howe. I mean, the 
the combination of, of the midfield and forwards, Everton just couldn't really get through at all. And it, it looked like Joe Linton looked really comfortable with where he, with where he was. He was contributing meaningfully. Uh, Joe Willock was really excellent. Um, he was kind of everywhere all over the pitch, winning the ball back and, and what have you. You saw Chris Wood play and you saw how he will kind of contribute to that team and dropping deep and participating in the build-up. And, of course, Alan St. Maximum was the star of the show and he Everton just could not manage what he was offering because he, he, he was really incredible. So, yes, as you say, a massive three points lifts them out of the relegation zone, at least for now. That's obviously really tight and, of course, one of their main relegation rivals being Everton, uh, particularly so now uh, with with that result means that, you know, it's it's even tighter, which which makes it more exciting, I guess, to, to observe how it will pan out. But, yes, as you say, Frank Lampard's first Premier League game uh, got a win in the FA Cup at the weekend, less effective this morning. Uh, j- just to comment something to say, Everton looked a lot more energetic and a lot more driven and, and excitable in the way that they played, but ultimately still no clear patterns or structure that could be made out. We saw Deli Ali make his debut as mm-hmm. well. He really struggled to make an impact, um, like kind of really hardly touched it for the hour or so that he was on, so he, he really wasn't great. Donny van der Beek as well also came on, um, didn't do much either. So, you know, it's 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 early days for Frank and, and mm-hmm. the team looks much more enthused to be on the football pitch than they were under Rafa, um, but just yet to kind of channel that into an effective structure or... or well, the structure they went with was a 3-4-3. Three, three. Do yeah. you think that suits Everton's players or was that just, you know, to... Uh, for this particular matchup with Newcastle? Well, so the the three was played against Brentford in the FA Cup as well. And uh, I think it, it's kind of, it, it is still early days, so it is hard to judge. Um, I, I think it does suit in in lots of ways in the sense of having that support higher up the pitch. I mean, the the, the wide, the, the fullbacks, the wingbacks were really mm. quite high up, particularly against Brentford, although they kind of dropped back more against Newcastle. Um I think that from a defensive point of view, it looked a lot better for Everton, even though they considered three against Newcastle. I, I understand. But but in terms of under Rafa, the pressure on those defenders, so someone like Seamus Coleman kind of having all that, that, that burden of kind of having to sit back so far and not be able to kind of play his natural game of moving up the pitch, I think that kind of really was weighing him down. And so he looked a lot more... Mm able to express himself and a lot happier and, and, and willing to contribute than he, than he had previously. Obviously, that's off a small sample size. So I, th- I think in lots of ways it does suit at least the defenders and, and what they want to do. Whether that'll work out, you know, obviously we'll wait and see. But but, but I, I think that anything compared to what Rappel was doing will look like a, a much better approach. Yeah, there certainly wasn't uh, much to go off or to build from in the previous regime. I do note Andros Townsend playing as a left wing back, which always seems like a bit of a slap in the face to me if you're a winger and the manager says, oh, you're not quite good enough to play as a winger, but, you know, we'll we'll move you a little further back and uh, maybe you'll make an impact then. Yeah, um, so Mikolenko, the the signing who who I think played on at, sorry, during the FA Cup on the weekend and Mm. was brought in to replace Luca Dina, he was... Was he injured? I think he was injured this morning, which would have been why Andros was playing. Um, yeah, and as you say, the wingers being Damari Gray and I think uh, Anthony Gordon were both yes. playing up there. Yeah. Um, 
Look, that's right. I think that Andros Townsend, though, is the least effective winger out of out of those three. Like, he, he provides the least drive. And, he and scores, like, two bangers a year, but aside yeah. from that, you know... He, he definitely provided something in, from set pieces in a way that what's been lost with Luca Dean leaving. That, yeah. that, that, that There's clearly a place for him and a role that he can play. But, you know, in, in the instance of this morning, he's clearly kind of the least direct or driving player that, that Everton have in those wide positions. So I think that kind of suits what Frank's... I think trying to do, trying to kind of add some impetus and some attacking intent into the team. We uh, were speaking a little while ago about Manchester City and how players almost instructed not to shoot from outside the box mm. too often anymore. You know, so with very few exceptions, and you know how football's all about generating high percentage opportunities. Now, don't think Andros Townsend's got that memo yet. He loves a crack from range. Just just spams away if he's ever got the opportunity. He certainly does. He didn't really get the opportunity this morning. I mean, as I say, th- th- this morning's game was was it wasn't really about the forwards for everything because they no. couldn't really get near the ball for the maybe after the half hour mark really. So it was kind of hard to assess large amounts of that play. A lot, lo- a lot more of it was about yep. how can Everton transition from defence to the midfield into the attack and the answer was they couldn't really. So the problems kind of lay there. There was no real composure on the ball. No one could kind of hold the ball and keep possession for a meaningful period. Andre Gomez struggled. I mentioned Deli Alley didn't have a good game. Donny van der Beek didn't do much. And then obviously you've just got Alain who can win the ball back. But in terms of maintaining the ball, that was kind of the clear issue in my mind from what we saw with Everton this morning. Elsewhere in the relegation battle, Watford couldn't keep up their end of the bargain, losing 1-0 to West Ham away from home. I guess not a fixture that they expected to win necessarily, but the uh, formation did catch my eye with Roy Hodgson debuting a 4-4-2 with four central midfielders. <laughs> so just ultra-narrow Diego Simeone spec. Mm. Just keep it tight, lads. By all means, enjoy it, but enjoy it by being effing disciplined, yeah. <laughs> as Neil Warnock might say. That's absolutely right. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen the results early on because, what, they've, they've played two games and got a clean sheet against Burnley and then just considered the one against West Ham. I mean, you know, obviously still lost the game, but it, it looks like a much more solid team, I guess, which is what Roy Hodgson's going to bring, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's never been one to really fly off the handle, aside from that one game in the Euros for England where he subbed on <laughs> all of their strikers at once. Yeah. That's that's the one time I can remember him cutting loose. But the rest rest of his managerial career has been focused on four four two discipline and structure. And Watford knew what they were getting when they when they got him. Like that's that's exactly yes, what you're. That's expecting. what you sign up for when you yeah. hire hire seventy yeah. year old Roy Hodgson. So that leaves them in nineteenth place. Newcastle climb out of the drop zone into seventeenth. So two points clear now. Uh, with Norwich just below them on uh, so 18 points for Newcastle, 16 points for Norwich City, uh, one behind on 15 is Watford, and then bottom of the table Burnley manages to pick up a point at home to Manchester United. United had uh, many many chances to win this game, and a few goals disallowed, including uh, one Rafael Varane header that took repeated viewings for at least for me to figure out what mm. the hell had happened. Yeah, look, you, you showed me it, Josh, and I definitely took a few goes to work out what 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 was going on, why why the goal had been disallowed. Yeah, and there were a few. I saw I saw there was a great save by Nick Pope later in mm. the half as well. A couple of really great opportunities for United, but they only got the one goal. Um, so, you know, a bit unfortunate for Ralph and and, and United, but 
Burnley have been grinding out results, haven't they, in recent weeks? Obviously had the, that long period where they didn't play any games. So I guess this, this, is, this is what Burnley do, isn't it? They get these kind of results when they maybe expected goals would say they don't deserve it, but they kind of find a way. And we saw Wout Weghorst get involved. Yes. Big Voot. Um, yeah, picked up an assist, I think, combining with Jay Rodriguez. You know, maybe that's the, the new dream team up top. Um, Jay Rodriguez's reaction after he scored mm. that goal, I don't know if you saw him pounding the turf. <laughs> and, you know, it looked like he was frustrated, but I think he was, it was just uh, overcome with emotion after he scored that one. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, well, I think it's... It's been a it's been a tough season for Burnley, hasn't it? It always is. sometimes it always, you just got to let it out. It always feels like a tough season at Burnley, and but yeah. it kind of looked a little bit like End of the Planet of the Apes. Just yeah, damn you! I <laughs> don't know what to add to that. No, I, I I don't really know where where to where to take that. But it was a, it was a nice move from from Voot Verkhorst to open up that space. He shimmied off to mm. United players. It's a little bit more. Uh, balletic than I was expecting from Big Voot. He's a really good player. It's a really great acquisition. I mean, I mentioned that Chris Wood did well at Newcastle this morning, but he didn't do, he, he didn't show that kind of finesse on the ball that Veghorst mm. did. So I, I really think that 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 is it. That's a massive signing for Burnley. And if he if he can keep coming up with that kind of stuff, then they can keep edging those kinds of results and move towards safety. But with that being said, the competition around. Obviously, not great teams in the context of the Premier League. But you know the way Newcastle played this morning, they they look like like that would beat Burnley. Mm. So I'm kind of uh, I'm I'm not yet convinced that Burnley have enough in them to stay up because they they're still that their grindy approach may maybe have met its match this season. Two more points on this game from me. Firstly, Paul Pogba getting a goal. Mm. It's a lovely finish. Mm. Still find the offer on the table for him for a £400,000-a-week contract extension a little ridiculous from United. Uh, I still think they should move on from Paul Pogba. Uh, but, you know, he gets a few goals in junk time at the end of the season when there's nothing left to play for, and then, then suddenly they uh, they might end up re-signing him. It's, it's the bizarro world of Manchester United. It's the kind of thing that you wonder what influence Ralph Ragnick has over that kind mm. of thing, if he can... I don't know how much say he he has or is intending to have or is the plan for him to have when it comes to like transfers and stuff as opposed to general footballing philosophy. Well, because he's not going to be director of football. He's just going to be a miscellaneous advisor. Yeah. So I don't see what authority he could possibly wield. Mm. Not and not formally anyway. Maybe maybe the executives will do what he tells them to do, what he advises them to do. So, but yeah, and I mean, I don't, you know, I. Wait to see whether how, how Ralph use, utilizes Pogba more as the season goes, and whether he can get the best out of him. Those are just all footballing mm. cliches, I know. But but yeah, I mean, mm. I, I I I hear what you say when you say it feels a bit excessive to put as many as much into Paul Pogba as United seem insistent on getting. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken about this on this show before, I think, but Pogba is one of those players that he's like a Goldilocks footballer. Mm. Everything has to be just right yeah. for him to bring his best and I just don't think those those types of players are worth accommodating certainly not on you know the highest equal highest salary in the league 
and not at Manchester United because things aren't going to be always just right, no. are they? You know, you need to be able to perform under duress, yeah. under adverse conditions, under terrible coaching. Absolutely, yeah. And Ranić so far has not, not convinced me, by the way. I mean, a okay. result like this in in the Solskjaer reign, um, people would have been, again, baying for his head. But because there's been a takeover and because there's some German technocrat in charge who you know seems to speak with confidence about these matters... Uh, then suddenly I think there's a, a collective assumption that United are suddenly on a corrective path, which I think is a little far-fetched. So are you passing judgment already or are you, are you, are you saying... Well, I just don't see any particular improvement out of this United team. Uh, this is the same kind of performances they put in under Solskjaer several times um, against the same opposition. There are many games where United have struggled to beat Burnley um, and I don't see that changing anytime soon when... You know, you've got a manager who's obsessed with pressing, but against these opponents that United traditionally struggle to beat, they've got the ball 65% of the time, so you can't press when you've already got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough... <laughs> like, if you're, if you're football, and as RB Leipzig's is, is built entirely around when you don't have the ball, mm. what do you do when you do have the ball Yeah. for large swathes of the game? And that's why sometimes these ideas don't necessarily translate. Mm. You know, Liverpool, all we ever talk about is the pressing and Klopp and Gagan pressing and this, that, the other. But they've actually got a plan in possession, mm. the way they involve the fullbacks, the way they make late runs into the box, uh, the way that their wingers can be isolated one-on-one and create, you know, the way that their centre forward often drops deep and, and tries to disrupt the opposition central defence by giving them a should-I-stay-or-go dilemma. Like, there's multiple things that Liverpool do that are... Clearly, I mean, obviously they've got a better first team squad, but they are clearly they've clearly got a plan in possession. And United are still not seeing it yet. All, all the the entire focus seems to be structural, um, defensive, and this idea that their players have to run more. Mm. And I mean, Ronaldo didn't even start this morning, did he? In in the sense that people. Well, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. Yeah, well, exactly. People will often pin the blame on a forward like Ronaldo, kind of not contributing to the broader team setup, but. He wasn't even starting and this problem kind of still appeared to exist. With that being said, yeah, and, you know, this happened many times in the Solskjaer reign as well when we say, you know, they were maybe a bit unlucky because they probably should have scored three or four in the first half and kind of didn't. Um, but How many times have we said that this season? Yeah, How exactly. How many times, I mean, even in the, bringing it back to the FA Cup, mm. they were knocked out by Middlesbrough. Yeah. And they should have had that game wrapped up well before it ended up going to a penalty shootout. Yeah, no, definitely. I, it's, I, and, and so I totally hear what you're saying in the, in the, uh, in the, the fact that what, what's really changed in the last mm. couple of months since Ralph came in. There still, still seems to be those kinds of problems that exist. Mm. With that being said, the, if, the, if the argument or the idea of the, the Ragnick revolution, the kind of footballing philosophy overhaul at Manchester United, that's kind of years and years of entrenched ideologies kind of in theory being uprooted. But as you say, how much... What was there before that, you know? What is is it replacing? Well... Just a hypothetical idea of United, maybe wingers, maybe attacking football, (laughs) maybe maybe this, maybe that, that has no real tangible uh, connection to how football was played in the 2020s, you know? Yeah, and, and... I, you know, United continue to look like a team made up of individuals rather than having mm. some kind of coherent plan, particularly in possession, as you say. So I'm, I, I you, you are persuading me that I feel that maybe 
there should be more product at this point from United in terms of we should be seeing at least seeing the signs of some progress towards something new, which up to this point aren't really evident, so mm. we, which would make these kinds of results perhaps a bit more digestible if, if, if we had seen them. Well, I think we'll take a short break and then we'll look ahead to the upcoming Premier League fixtures this weekend. Uh, even tomorrow morning we've got games left, right and centre at the moment uh, and games on Friday morning as well. So we'll have a look at forward to some of those fixtures and uh, we might even get stuck into the biggest controversy of the English footballing weekend, mm. uh, animal cruelty. Yeah. You heard that right. <laughs> That's coming up on the EPL show.